This is The A. I'm Reg Clay. And Norman G. This is The A, where we talk about life in the theater and the theater of life. Yay! <laughs> As always, we are sponsored by Central Works. We're headed up by Gary Graves and Jans Leifler. Central Works, reinventing theater one play at a time. As always, we want to thank Central Works for sponsoring us and our wonderful consulting producer, Mallory Samara. And I have a guest that I have not seen since 2009, Chris Cassell. How are you, Chris? I'm doing pretty well. It's nice to see you <laughs> and Norman, too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I uh, I stage managed for you. You were the director for Texas Chainsaw Musical oh, nice. at yes. a San Francisco Fringe. And we had um, Corey Bytoff on, I think, a couple of uh, maybe two or three episodes ago mm-hmm. who wrote it. And uh, so it's great to have you on. You are a director and you're also a teacher. Um, yeah. Do you do you teach theater or directing or is it something un- totally unrelated? Uh, so I taught privately in San Francisco for about 10 years. I taught acting and audition classes. And then at the Academy of Art, where I've been teaching for 25 years, oh, wow. mm-hmm. I teach acting to to all the undergraduate students, anybody mm-hmm. who's interested, and also uh, acting for animators, which is pretty cool. Oh, right on. Mm. You know what? That is, you know, when I think of video games and uh, the jobs and, you know, what needs to be done for video, you can clearly see... There needs to be acting, especially voice acting, or even, you know, if you're uh, an actor and you have well, what those suits on to help the animators. Oh, the oh, motion capture. Yes. Exactly. Yeah, the motion captures. So I can totally see how. Jeff Pizarro may be one of your uh, students. May have Does been Red one of ring a bell? Say the name again. Jed, Jed Presario. Presario, little Filipino guy. Not ringing any bells for me, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll have to bring up bring up a picture, but uh, he's been really, really exploding, and he's uh, really an exciting actor. Oh, great! Um, yeah, he's pretty wonderful. Yeah, Norman. As I begin uh, every podcast, how was your week? My mama was here, so I was very yeah. happy. Yeah, oh, and, right. and you posted a picture of her. I yeah, I managed to remember to pick, she looks do just one picture. Like you. I wish I'd or done you a picture. You look just like her. <laughs> <laughs> Good catch. Yeah. Um, yeah, we got to go to the Rosie the Riveter Museum, and I wish I'd taken a picture there because it was just. It's so funny. For us, it's sort of, you know, if you're a post-World War II person, that's, oh, that history, that's cool. If you're somebody her age, it's more like, okay, this is the world that I came into. This mm-hmm. is the world I grew up in. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Yes, it is. So, no, mm-hmm. it, was, it was wonderful having her. I am a little distracted today because um, one of our actors, so... The Hitchcock Christmas is again tonight and tomorrow. That's right, Playground. With Playground in San Francisco. And one of my actors has a COVID scare, doesn't know if they have COVID, but the protocols are that if you've had contact with somebody who has tested positive, you're supposed to quarantine. Mm-hmm. Oh, so, interesting. And for the producer, the rule is don't care what you do, you can't come back into our space for 10 days. Mm. So, well, it's good to have the gonna, protocols. Yeah, we're gonna have to scramble to get somebody on book and ready to go tonight. Oh goodness! Wow. Well, hey, you know, it's, it's you know, next person, next man up. Um, if Hopefully. if you can get an actor, but um, yeah, you think might well, be Luel. <laughs> Luel, someone yours. Hey, yeah. there you go. He's already playing a homicidal elf, so <laughs> <laughs> he can really but, diversify. Yeah. But, you know, we're three years away from COVID, but still, it's around, and who knows, it may be the new normal, so it is what it, it is. It is, yeah. No, yeah. I'm hoping, 
you know, they keep talking about vaccines, and I'm, I get my health care through the VA, and they're like, oh, yeah, we, we don't have it yet. And I'm like, it's December, y'all. Come on, this has been out for over two months. <laughs> Hurry up. Yeah, I right. just got my third booster, the mm-hmm. yeah, boosters, recent yeah, one. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I'm up for one as well. I've taken both uh, vaccines and a booster shot, so i got to hit up um, Kaiser right. to get that. Yeah. Yeah. So there have been some, excuse me, current events. Rudolph Giuliani owes $148 million to two Georgia uh, workers who um, he just lambasted. This is all Mm -hmm. 2020 uh, election stuff, and it's just really ridiculous. Maybe a broad question that I'll ask, are we worried about 2024? Next year will be the election. How do you feel, Chris? I don't know your political affiliation, um, but... I'm a Democrat. Um, the first thing that comes to mind is the first time that Trump got elected, everybody I knew was saying, there's no way, there's Mm -hmm, just no way. Yeah. And we were proven wrong. Mm -hmm. And so I'd like to say, there's no way for this election, but the things that you read, the things that you hear, it's disturbing and frightening about what could potentially happen, even Mm -hmm. though it seems like it. It would have to be impossible. Yeah. You know what's odd? I'm seeing in the news, I've seen at least two news articles, that they've thrown the word dictatorship. He said it. No, he said it. Oh, interesting. In an interview, he was asked, um, I don't remember if they asked him the question or if it was just his answer. Like, do you says, think there'll be a dictatorship? And he's like, um, not day until, one. Day he says, one. except for day one, I'll be a dictator day one. And I'm like, what? And so they've been trying to walk it back. Mm. But he actually made the statement because his whole plan is kick everybody out, get in people who are loyal to him, straighten out the country, straighten out the government. Yeah, and you would, and you would think that. After having four years of Trump, you know, even the most, I mean, of course, there are people who are going to be totally loyal to Trump, but mm-hmm. you think there'll be enough independence and, of course, Democrats and just normal, um, normal people, even in the Midwest, who would say, wow, I don't want to go through four years of this again. Yeah. But he's up in the polls. Yeah. I mean, well, Nikki they're doing Hay- a great job of undercutting Biden. And, mm. and Biden, to be honest, was never a popular president. Right. So yeah. it's not popularity that's going to get him through. It's his good works and getting the word out about his good works. Yeah. Yeah. So so we'll see. I'm still optimistic. Um, but you mentioned Rudy. And yeah. I would say I'm liking the way the court cases are going as much as they're doing everything they can to try and slow it and yeah. impede it. Um, every decision is going against them or is barely going in their favor in minor ways, but not in major ways. Speaking of courts, I think uh, this, uh, of course, the woman um, in Texas, uh, this is Kate Cox, who was pregnant and uh, realized there's some issues with the baby. And one court said, yes, you can have an abortion. The Supreme Court, Texas Supreme Court says, no, you can't. So I think it's going to move up to the U.S. Supreme Court. She's already gone mm-hmm. out of the country to have her abortion, um, which is a good thing for her. But it's like it's if you're privileged enough to, you know, buy a ticket and leave to have your abortion, that's great. What do you do if you're poor? It's really, really horrible. I don't know if you have a take on this, Chris, uh, with what's going on. So your comment makes me think about the privilege of abortion on more than one level. Yeah. Um, it's hard to watch regression of this nature um, mm-hmm. when it comes to something like 
Roe v. Wade being reversed. Right. Yeah. And and rights for women that were in place for decades mm-hmm. being gone again. And I think what what everybody has to focus on and have faith in and take heart in is that people don't stop fighting for right. what they feel is right. Yeah. And this woman that you mentioned, Cox, she does have incredible privilege to be able to go where she needs to go to get mm, yeah. an abortion. And you know, she has every right to use that privilege. I mean, right. privilege is not... And, we weren't... and bring, bring attention to... Exactly. Well, that was Hopefully. what I love, is her choice wasn't just to go take care of her problem. Her choice was to go... Something needs to be done about this. Yeah, exactly. She's being an advocate. Yeah, yeah. and going yeah. from the state level to... Which has mm-hmm. got to be the, scary as... Oh, that's yeah. got to be... Yeah. yeah, that takes a lot of courage. It also takes a lot of resources. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, yep. Yep. and so, you know, I don't know what that individual case would be able to accomplish, but I think hopefully something positive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm hoping the Supreme Court, because there's been so much backlash. I mean, there's already... You know, I'm sure there's going to be some legislature which um, dictates, uh, you know, if the Supreme Court justice is going to be, th- you know, thrown out mm-hmm. or, you know, really just putting scrutiny because being appointed a Supreme Court justice doesn't mean you can do anything that you want to do. Right. Uh, you know, especially, th- and that's one of the things, I remember we had uh, Corinne Ritchie on and she says, well, what can a president do in four years? You know, not that much. <laughs> but, but of course, all of us was that naive. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, Trump has proven to us that there can be irreparable damage, even if in a short four years. I mean, we may be dealing with Amy Comey Barrett and, you know, the um, Republican justices mm-hmm. for years. Right. For years. And, um, yeah, her so, for the rest of our lives, probably. Right. Yeah. So, so, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. Um, all you can do is have faith and and keep fighting. And I tried to throw a fun thing in here, and I promise this is a fun thing. Killer lemonade. Have you heard of this? So, no. this there's <laughs> Panera has a brand of lemonade mm-hmm. which has like I forget what amount of caffeine, but mm-hmm. it's like an insane amount of caffeine. Oh, and someone in Florida I drank heard it. Somebody making a joke about this, right? Exactly, and uh, they unfortunately died. I mean, that's not the fun part about it. But now their marketing is like, hey, you know, can you take our <laughs> lemonade and drink it and survive and all of that stuff and. I think there there are four lawsuits, uh, wrongful death lawsuits, oh, well, no. regarding this Panera Killer Lemonade. <laughs> oh no! And so the problem is, there's that so much caffeine that. Well, there's so much caffeine, but also you have a label like you drink something or you eat something, and then there's a little label. Who reads the label? But if you have a pre-existing condition and oh, you don't boy. read the label, boom. You know, wow. so that something like that can happen. Oh my gosh! So you know, there's one side of folks who are like, "Yeah, Panera's responsible because they should have, uh, you know, advertised or give a warning bigger than what they already have." Mm-hmm. And then there's other people like, "Hey, listen, you have to be really careful of what you take in." So, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, so I yeah. thought that was uh, interesting. Um, let's do an origin story, Chris Cassell. So, where did you? Uh, where were you born and raised? Uh, actually born in Castro Valley because yeah. the hospital in Livermore wasn't complete yet, uh, mm-hmm. but Livermore is where I was raised. Okay. Siblings? Um, I have six siblings. Wow. One brother who's the oldest, uh, two older sisters, three younger sisters. Wow. So you're like sort of the middle or up or close yeah, the to the... middle child. Okay. Yep. <laughs> and uh, we actually were in Livermore because my dad um, 
he earned his undergraduate degree in physics at Berkeley, oh. and he was working at the lab his whole career uh-huh. as a wow. nuclear physicist. Mm-hmm. You know, it's interesting. We've had a couple of guests on, and they've said that they had parents who worked in the Silicon Valley area in nuclear physicists or, you know, or let's say computers or whatever. Mm-hmm. So there must have been something going on in the late 50s, 60s. You know, yeah. you have Bell Labs, and you have uh, Hewlett Packard, who was, mm-hmm. you know, that's sort of the beginnings of Silicon Valley. So mm-hmm. it sounds like your dad was a part of that. Yeah, I think um, the lab and, and that whole, like, it was originally called the Livermore Radiation Laboratory, but oh, they wow. changed the name Lawrence Livermore Laboratory. <laughs> yeah. And I think that was a Radiation yeah. doesn't yeah. <laughs> promote well. Go ahead. But um, they, I had never thought of this, Reg, but that might have been a precursor to the other technology that came in and, you know, sort of started to build up around the San Jose area. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, because if you think about, you know, Hewlett-Packard, we think about printers. Right. But they were sort of the the leading tech, you know, along with IBM. IBM, Of course, IBM has always been around. I think that's where young Steve Jobs, he first worked at um, Hewlett-Packard and Mm -hmm. was asking for these, you know, integrated circuits and all of that stuff. Right. And the homebrew uh, garages and... We know the rest of the story. Well, in those days, the computers were giant. You know, right, you have a right. A room, room. yeah. And the room. lab would have open house days, and my dad would bring the gaggle of us, and you could sit and talk to a computer, like uh-huh. type something. Oh, you uh-huh. know, we we do something like you know, you're a stupid head, and then it would say, <laughs> you know, that does. What do you mean? Or I don't mm. understand. Or oh, that, oh, that's that. funny. That but that was yeah. fun for us in those early days. I mean, this is the '60s. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's really, really cool. Um, were you the type to get involved in uh, theater, like in high school? Uh, oh, yeah. I was definitely involved in theater in high school. I, I would say, I mean, I can remember in elementary school uh, making scenes. You know, we'd have like creative mm-hmm. time and we could put scenes together. Um, I can remember in junior high, in English classes, if we mm-hmm. had the option to do a scene instead of writing, I would mm-hmm. choose that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, definitely traditionally involved in theater in high school, sang in the choirs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I guess it started pretty early for me. Yeah. yeah. And I guess there was a point where you were like, this isn't just a fad, but this is something I really, really want to pursue. Yeah. I actually I uh, first went to school at UC Santa Barbara and studied English because I couldn't quite bring myself to tell myself I could go and study theater. Yeah. Um, and the next best thing I love to do is read. So, But then I did, once I finished at Santa Barbara, right away in my free time, I started, I got involved with the Gilbert and Sullivan group and mm-hmm. was taking dance and taking voice. And then I decided I would audition for some theater programs and ended up uh, going to Boston University from 85 to 89. Oh, wow. Yeah. Really, really cool. I was at NYU from 87 to 91, so it's oh, almost parallel. So you're a little we're early. on the East Coast, yeah. <laughs> yeah, the East Coast stuff. And, of course, New York. There was so many uh, interesting oh, things, gosh. racial things going on. Yusuf Hawkins and um, uh, Bernard Getz, yeah. Central Park Five. Mm-hmm. I don't think a lot of that was going on in Boston. Well, Boston, Boston definitely rough? has... Lots of racial conflict and, you know, very mm-hmm. segregated between neighborhoods. That's yeah. part of its history for sure. Yeah. 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 Did you learn a lot in Boston? I mean, did you learn a lot of technique and I things did. like that? I did. I, I loved being in a theater training program uh, because we got exposed to different techniques. Mm-hmm. We did all kinds of physical training. We learned armed and unarmed combat. We did clowning. Um 
Uh, we learned dialect, mm-hmm. so it, it felt really comprehensive. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I know that you're a teacher, or you were, are you currently a t- an acting teacher, or you were an acting teacher? Well, privately I was, so I taught my own classes from 96 to 2006 in San Francisco, and then at the academy, um, I don't remember the year I started teaching the acting classes, I think it was in the 2000s. Mm-hmm. And um, was teaching those classes right up until the pandemic. And oh. then they stopped offering them. Oh, what a As shame. far as I know, they, yeah. might, they might have a section or two they still offer. There's yeah. another instructor who also teaches. But you're no longer with them. I'm with the academy. I'm just not currently teaching the acting classes. Okay, because I was going to ask you, because Norman and I, we've, we've talked about the pros and cons of going to school for acting. And I was wondering if you taught... Things like Stanislavski, or if you had a, a thought about method or no method, or um, the Meisner technique. You know, we've had folks who really do cling on to those techniques. Yeah. But we've also had folks who are like, well, is it sort of a cultish thing? You know, can I just live life and just, you know, feed off of <laughs> my life experiences yeah, well, on the stage? You make me think of a couple things. While I was in acting school, I had a teacher who said that. Uh, she didn't believe we should be in acting school, which is interesting coming from one of your teachers. Right. But a lot of people think that that structured teaching system is not necessarily the best for actors. Mm-hmm. I also remember, do you know the actress Kay Kostopoulos? Of course. Uh, she and Amy Freed were co-teaching acting classes back in the 90s, and I studied a little bit with them. And I remember Kay saying she got to the point where she just let go of all technique and was mm. really just her technique had taken to the place of just wanting to be in the moment. Mm, right. And I, I always remember that. I always thought that was really interesting. When I teach, um, I do ground uh, in Stanislavski's technique, sure. actions and objectives and mm-hmm. beats. And I think that's fundamental. Yeah. And it works. You know, it, it, it helps an actor understand what they need to focus on, especially when they're mining the script. Yeah. No, no, no. That that's very, very important. As a director, um, well, let me ask you this: When is with? I know that you directed um, the Texas Chainsaw, but what is the last? When's the last time you directed? Um, that would be 2016, and this is the last thing I directed at RVP. It was Robin Hood. I wasn't actually supposed to Ross direct Valley? it. Yeah. yeah, Ross Valley Players. Um, I wasn't originally going to direct it, but the person who was lined up wasn't able to do it. So. Okay, I'll say so. You, you got the gig. Yep. Is there a reason why you don't do it anymore? Is it because I don't know the jobs? You, you know, just it was on? just uh, tell me your tell me your, your tagline again. It's we talk about <laughs> life, oh, in the life theater, in the theater, 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 life. The theater of life took me away from the life in the theater. Let's put it that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was it was just um, I. I was a little bit burned out, especially working on a board, and I was president of that board for about three years. And um, also, it just had some personal things come up that really took my attention. Sure. And um, I, I, I always thought I was going to be on hiatus. I didn't know it'd be this long. So. Mm-hmm. Well, do you, do you miss it? <laughs> I do. I yeah. do. It's funny. I've been with my husband, my, my now husband, mm-hmm. for... 21 years, but we only got married two years ago. Oh, congratulations. I had no idea this would happen, but this was 2021 when I was planning the wedding. I felt like I was on a production. (laughs) Right. It is a production, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah, it really is. So that was my last real fix. Yeah. I miss working with actors. I miss that process of of exploring the script and um, putting it all together, working with really great designers Mm -hmm. who know their jobs well. And for me as a director... 
that's that's who you want to surround yourself with. That they bring you their vision and concept, mm-hmm. and you can say yes or no. Sure. Mm-hmm. But, what I was going to ask you, and I think I've asked you this, Norman. Because there are some directors who do not want to teach. They're like, hey, listen, I hired you. You got to figure out the acting stuff. I'm not here to give you all the answers. <laughs> oh, I hate that. God, I hate that. Yeah. Well, as an actor, I mean, have you dealt with directors? I'll flip it with you. I heard a director exactly say that. Yeah. We were doing Dreamgirls. Lead actress is trying to ask a question about something. And he's like, wait a minute. What do you, what, what? And she said that part. And he's like, oh, you mean the part where you cross from, because it was a, the way the show, the story moves, you just mm-hmm. keep moving from locale to locale. Right. The set sort of moves around you. Right. Um, so he's like, oh, you, you cross over to the dressing table at that point. She said, no, no, no. I know what my blocking is. What am I doing? How do I get from point A to point B? And he says, oh, that that's acting. That's your job. And we <laughs> sat there laughing. Yeah. <laughs> and then realized he was serious. He yeah. Was like, oh. You know, I there are directors who they... From day one, they know what every bit of the blocking is going to be. They mm-hmm. know the stage pictures. Um, and they just sort of tell actors, go here, do this, sit, stand. Mm-hmm. And I've never been that kind of director. I think a couple of things that make me a good director is, first of all, I trained as an actor. Mm-hmm. And so I understand I think those process. are the best directors who are actors because they can think the way actors think. Yeah. And I also, I feel like I have a very organic approach, which is to say... I feel like I take the show from the actors, if that makes sense. And mm-hmm. I, what I'm interested in when they get up on stage is to support them to follow their impulses. Mm-hmm. Bring in your questions. Tell me what you're thinking. Try this. Mm-hmm. Do that. And I feel like I throw this very wide net and to sort of catch everything they have to bring. And then as a director, it's my job to shape that. And then ultimately say, yes, no, I think this is stronger. I think this works better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because sure, there are administrative things you do as a director where it's like, hey, listen, we have a transition from one this scene to another scene. So for blocking purposes, and I got to get this furniture over here, mm-hmm. you're going to tell an actor, okay, we're going to do this. And you're not thinking about motivation or you know the why. Um, although an actor may need to know why and if they need help figuring it out. Of course, you want an actor to sort of figure it out on their own or to just say, hey, listen. Well, come with ideas. Right, exactly. Definitely want them to come with ideas and things to try. Right, exactly. But if an actor does ask you, you don't want to just simply dismiss them like, hey, listen, you're you're, you're just getting in the way. (laughs) I would not, no. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So, no, no, so that's good. um, well, tell me some 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 of the good experience. What's the best directing uh, gig that you had? A show that you really really love doing. There are some shows I directed at Ross Valley Players that I really loved. Um, it sounds like you had a good experience at Ross Valley. Yeah, I did. I you know I started there as an actor, then I started directing there, got involved on the board, uh, mm. served as president, and so I really kind of moved the whole arc through. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I loved. <laughs> working on A View from the Bridge and was oh, nice. among other mm, things glad Arthur to Miller. work on some Miller mm-hmm. and um, had a great cast and a, and a wonderful set designer and um, Eric Burke was the he played the lead mm-hmm. role of, I don't know if you know him he's, a, he's an actor with, mostly yeah. up in uh, North Bay okay um, I loved working on in 2013 the night of the iguana and that was the first Williams I got to do oh, yeah, Tennessee. and had yeah. again a great cast and uh, Eric Burke was in that one too <laughs> um, I really loved this be- 
beautiful production of Enchanted April. I don't know if you know the play. It started as a movie uh, for for British women are so tired of their lives in this dreary London weather that they mm-hmm. go off to this Italian villa oh, and nice. sort of rediscover themselves and their lives mm-hmm. and their loves. Mm-hmm. And it's a beautiful stage play. So that one was beautifully designed. And that was part of what gave me so much pleasure is I felt like that world was realized. And that set designer is Malcolm Rogers. Do, I don't know if you know Marianne and Malcolm yeah, Rogers. Of yeah. 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 Very, very nice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. In talking, um, when I was part of uh, Easton's Repertory Company, which is now no longer around, I worked a lot with uh, Susan Evans, who is our sort of residential director. And I always had a sense that although the actors are on the stage and we're presenting, and of course the playwright is presenting, you know, their their piece or you know they're they're representing themselves. I had a sense that the director also represents because the director sort of chooses unless they're being hired, but. The, the director is sort of presenting um, themselves or they're making some sort of a statement about themselves. Like I know Susan had selected pieces that she wanted to do. Mm. Like her favorite was Carol Churchill. She, she literally uh, loved yeah. Carol Churchill. So I guess my question to you is, are there pieces that you, is there a, are you sending a statement when you do, when people see a, a Chris Cassell directed piece? Like I'm sure there are pieces that you would never direct because you're just not interested in that. And maybe there are pieces where you're like, yes, this represents who I am. I've never thought about how I was making a statement with the pieces I directed. Um, I, I think I was always most interested in bringing out what elements of human nature were being explored by the script and by the playwright. Mm-hmm. And try to do that as effectively as possible. Um my friend, my best friend, Claudia Holm, would probably say you can tell a Chris Cassell production by, she said, she calls it the just the little moments, mm-hmm. actually. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, maybe it is that, that fine detail and not overlooking any moment of what mm-hmm. happens on stage. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which because, is not a statement. But. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, but I, th- I think it is a statement. You know, there's some directors who will allow an actor to improvise at this particular thing. Or a director who does focus on the attention to details. Or let's say there's a color scheme <clears throat> which is affected by that. Or let's say just the selection of the piece. Mm-hmm. Like Norman, have you thought about that? Do, is there like a Norman G style of... Um... <laughs> the things that I think of as a Norman G style, I've, I am only aware of when I have to kind of let go of them. Mm. I want an actor to do a certain kind of movement. That actor is not capable of that movement. I recognize that, thankfully, <laughs> and I let go of my idea. <laughs> but yeah, that's when I become aware of it. I'm like, oh, Norman, that was you trying to do some clever thing, and it's not going to work. Let it go. Yeah. Actually, that's a, that's a pretty good question, because we've asked some directors, what do you do with actors who, let's say, aren't getting it? Let's say there's a scene. I remember asking this. We had... Um, Craig Souza, and he was directing something at the DMT, and it was supposed to be a funny bit, but the actor didn't get the joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was a, um, I want to say it was, um, oh shucks, it was, um, I, I can't think of the piece, um, mm. Charlie's Aunt. Mm-hmm. It was Charlie's Aunt. So in any case, um, and and Craig Souza was just so, so frustrated, and he brought in um, 
Susan Evans to say, hey, you know, can you help me just get the actor to you? I don't know how to. And I think what Susan did was just she just made the actor do it as straight as possible. Right. And it was just so straight or and so rigid that it, the, I don't know, the humor just came out. Or, right. Yeah, yeah. But uh, uh, go ahead. I think what I, I'm trying to think back on particular moments, and I think what I try never to do is give a line reading. Right. Or, oh you God. know, get up and show them how I think it should look. Sure. I really, really, really try not to do that. If you, I just had an actor tell me, tell me how you want me to say it. And I was like, I can't. Right, right, you can't. So try to go to, you know, well, well what's, what do you think is going on in this moment? What do you think is the action that the actor's playing here? Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if that's not working, then is trying to find the words. What can I say to this actor so that the mm-hmm. result of what they do will be what needs to happen in that moment? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you run into an issue where, let's say, you've cast someone and then you realize you've made a mistake? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But I'll tell you what, that usually does not have to do with their talent or ability in the role. It has to do with personality issues right. that I are discovered after casting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right, which you can never, never really... I mean, when you're... This is a question I'll ask both of you, and maybe I'll ask you, Norman. Do you try to figure out the personality issues or whatever, or just if there's anything? I don't like, try to. I don't know, again, I don't know it's, how you can. It's the, same, it's the same thing I was saying before. You find yourself in a moment where something's not working, and so you're just trying to figure out why is this not working, and suddenly you become aware... Oh, this actor <clears throat> cannot, will not do the thing that's in my head. I gotta let go of the thing that's in my head. I have to if yeah. I if I want to be successful in this. Yeah, and it's great. It's humbling, but it's great when they are able to find something that works. Mm-hmm. And you're like, okay, I can take no credit for that whatsoever, <laughs> except that I've just sort of yeah. I acknowledged it. I've ushered it in. That's all I can do. When you look at a resume or. Uh, do you look at, let's say, <laughs> the training? Or I let's do. Say the, <laughs> oh, why, why? It's the same thing, you know, talking about the training thing. I don't give a... You trained, you didn't train. Great. What what can you show me? Yeah. That's but, what but, I want to see. But at least you'll know what their experience was or if they have any experience at all. Yeah. No? There's a guy that got Othello at Cal Shakes because he had done Othello before in New York. Mm-hmm. So they looked at his resume and went, well, fuck, you did Othello in New York? It's great. No, he did Othello at a church <laughs> in New York. So, no, I don't, you know, resume. Not exactly no. the same thing. Yeah. Well, I think um, I would probably agree with what you said, Reg, that at, at least a glance at a resume can give you a sense of, okay, they've got some experience and where they if it's If it's true. <laughs> but ahead. ultimately, right, um, it is what you see in that audition. Yeah. And then, you know, I worked a long time at Ross Valley Players, so you have, you know, your producers there, producers, directors, they sometimes interchange role, mm-hmm. your stage managers there. But you had folks who knew the Bay, North Bay actors, which mm-hmm. were more who would come out for yeah. those shows. And so they could kind of give you the heads up if you needed a little red flag about an oh. actor. Oh, yeah. You know, and so then you would have some frame of reference if you didn't really know them otherwise. Right, but but that's unlikely to be on the resume. That's somebody going, yeah, exactly. I know this talent pool. <clears throat> mm-hmm. You know, you can tell, I mean, if an actor is courteous in the audition, if mm-hmm. they seem glad to be there, if they know how to conduct themselves, you get right. a certain amount of information. You know that you can work with them. Yeah, yeah. hopefully. Hope, yeah. <laughs> right. I'll never forget this. I don't know if you remember this, Norman, but it was actually, I was... Um, it was with Melody, and we were looking for a um, a 
our roommate or you know we were to rent out a room mm-hmm. and there was someone who had mentioned oh I know Norman G because I, I, I mm-hmm. he directed me mm-hmm. and his name was Patrice oh <laughs> crazy man yes <laughs> and so I had called you or emailed you to say hey what do you think about Patrice and you was like no stay away from him stay, oh no d- and, yeah, totally and, and I Thank mentioned you. that because not only do you have the resume, but you also have just word of mouth. You know. Because that's where resume is useful. Oh, that, that that's the number one thing. I'll clock on your resume. It's nice to know what shows and what roles you did, but who did you work with? Yeah. Where did you work? Right. And who do I know? Yeah. Yep. Because people you, call me. Yep. I saw your name on a resume, or do you know so-and-so? And it used to be I knew a lot more. Now there's a whole generation of folks where I'm like, I, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. Yeah. But that is, it is important to take advantage of your network among theater people because mm-hmm. everybody knows everybody in the end, Yep. for the most part. Well, yeah, well, I feel the same also, way. I don't know the younger folks coming in so much. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to because, to me, that's all part of the community. So it's yeah. the same thing. That's what the yay is. We're, mm-hmm. We want to acknowledge and respect the community. And part of that is knowing, oh, this person worked over here. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay, this will be... Like, I... Um, I I've got one of the shows in the Hitchcock, and um, one of my actors is Louis Parnell. Oh, yeah. A lot of younger actors don't know who Louis is. Oh, my. Louis's been working the whole time I've been in Bay Area Theater. I've seen Louis's name all over the place. I've seen Louis in shows. I'm thrilled uh, for the Baldwin that we did, um, mm-hmm. bringing in Brian Freeman. Yeah. I, I, you know, Afro. Afro homo pomos, yeah, yeah. Um, he was, he's a great presence, he, uh, but people don't know. So yeah. what happens? And this actually ran into this with somebody who didn't know better. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, you know, I'm just worried about that old guy. I don't think he's going to learn his lines. So I'm like, there are old guys that have trouble learning their lines. Yes, mm-hmm. all of us stumble over scripts, so that's just part of the process. Yeah. Don't trip on it, but don't hear somebody stumble over a script and go. And he's an old actor. I think I'm worried now he's not going to learn his lines. I'm mm-hmm. like, I assume with everybody, you're going to find a way to learn your lines. Yeah. Well, Brian started to take these moments on stage that were just gorgeous. Yeah. And I didn't direct those. I didn't make those. That's him and that skill. Yeah. So I want to bring that community in and let them flourish. I. Yeah. And yeah. and folks like that have gr- such great experience. Like, you know, we've had Hutch, John Hutchinson on, mm-hmm. who's a veteran actor for EastEnders Repertory Company. He's like, I think, 85, 86 years old mm-hmm. right now. He's one of the oldest people that we've had on the Yay. He remembers he grew up listening to the Fireside Chats. Wow. Right. FDR. Right, right. And he's like, I can't get back on stage again. But I know he's a magnificent presence. I remember yeah. seeing him, you know, on stage. We, he did Vlock Hobble's uh, audience. Mm. And, you know, that script is really, really tough because, you know, there are repeating scenes or lines that just, you know, like, it's like, don't you want to drink? Don't you want to drink? And then you talk about something else. Then you jump back to you want to drink. And it's tough memorizing because you're like, okay, wait a minute. I said that before. So, right. And he did it. And he brought something. And that's that experience that, you know, that you have for 20, 30, 40 years Mm -hmm. that you've been acting. Yeah. So I knew, yeah, that actor for the Baldwin Project, I knew he was going to be fantastic. And he was. Yeah. yeah. No, it's it's just wild to me. Um, I'm also noticing that there are older actors who are upfront about it. Yeah. Can't do that anymore. Can't learn lines. Mm -hmm. Script in hand, I can do that. Yeah. But have to memorize the whole thing mm-hmm. no I'm past that point in the capacity yeah. it's yeah. fascinating I had a question for you Chris um, when do you as a director and maybe even as a teacher push an actor 
to challenge them to do things, to get them out of their comfort zone? Um, is it something that you encourage or you're sort of like, well, I sort of want the actor to just do it? And I, and I asked because I remember uh, one of the first monologues I had to learn, and I was a, just a young, young kid at Duke Ellington School of the Arts, and one of the upperclassmen listened to my monologue. And she was like, listen, you got to be angry. You got to be angry. You got to push it. You know, you got to think about something, you know, since memory. And, and it was at that time I was like 15, 16. I probably wasn't ready for that role. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But I remember that. Um, when do you push? When do you let go? Um... Uh, well, so in the beginning, I definitely, it's a big exploration. Mm-hmm. So let's see what the actors discover in those first times through, mm-hmm. right, as you're blocking. Um, and then as you start working your beats and working for what's happening emotionally, what are the objectives to be achieved here, I think that gives me the platform to talk to actors about can you make a stronger choice? I think we mm-hmm. need a stronger choice. Or I think the stakes are higher. So it's not so much results-oriented, like you have to be more angry. Right, right. Yeah, that's a good I point. I don't think you want to direct actors with yeah. that. Yeah. But, okay, well, emotion ideally follows if they know what they want and they're playing the right action right. to get yeah. it. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Now, follow-up question, because I know as a director, you have to be very time sensitive. Let's say there's a scene, there's a rehearsal time, I don't know, seven to 10 or whatever, and you have these objectives, I've got to get through scene four, scene five. How much time do you invest in talking, having those conversations hmm. um, before you're like, hey, listen, I got to keep going? One of the things I, I think I started this at RVP is just. Um, uh, starting the night with table read for mm-hmm. whatever scenes we were going to get through, whether it was mm-hmm. blocking or we'd move beyond that. Mm-hmm. And then I like to raise a lot of questions, you know, so talk to one, you know, so some of the questions I have about your character, la la la, and just right. kind of drop those in yeah, and then let those sit with them, mm-hmm. right? And then, then we have some frame of reference for when those questions are coming up and we're wanting to find choices, find answers. Yeah. yeah. So that little bit of you know, maybe the first half hour of table read can mm-hmm. take you a long way mm-hmm. when you get on your feet. Right. If the actor will follow up on that. You know, there, uh-huh. there are some actors who are very, very diligent in doing their what I call homework. Mm-hmm. You know, like finding out what those beats are, what the objectives and how high the stakes are and what scenes are, you know, maybe the stakes aren't so high. It's just to move the scene along. You know, what's mm-hmm. the purpose of, you know, why am I walking on stage? Where am I coming from? Mm-hmm. And all that stuff. And then you have some who are a little lazier or for whatever reason. Yes. <laughs> or, or just very um, literal, right? Exactly. Yeah. And it's like, okay, yeah. Um, you have to deal with that in the Baldwin project. You know, you had one actor. I'm not going to mention mm-hmm, their name, mm-hmm. who asked you, "So, what am I really doing here?" And I can tell you didn't have the time <laughs> to in- indulge in all that. Yeah, I, I, I'm always trying to figure out what is going to be most useful mm-hmm. to the actors. And sometimes it's not what they're asking for. Sometimes it is. Like, I know in the back of my head that in a full rehearsal process, we're going to get to that point where I love analysis and I love breaking everything down. At some point, I need y'all to just race through this. And I know that that rehearsal is going to be really informative to me, and hopefully it'll be informative to the actors, Um, But what's mostly going to happen is how many things stick, Mm -hmm. how much is holding together, and I don't have to do anything else, and they can just trust that the form is there, and then I can worry about, in the limited time I've got left, what else, how can I use that time? Yeah. And I I love getting to that moment, because it's always a moment where, if I had more time, I would take more time, I totally would, but I'm looking at the clock and going, 
no, today is the day we need to do the messy thing and see what happens. Yep. Mm-hmm. And you would hope that if an actor agreed to do the job, agreed mm-hmm. to take on the role, they have some idea as to what they're going to do with the role. Yeah. I've also gotten to the point where I don't, I'm not, I don't need to be everybody's friend. <laughs> yep. Good point. So I may ask you to do things that I can see that you're not that comfortable with, but they're working, mm-hmm. and your discomfort is actually useful. Yeah, and it's sticking. Mm-hmm. So I'm not worried that you're going to slip back towards something else. Yeah, but I can see that they really wish they could have some other experience. Mm-hmm. And those actors, it's wonderful to let them finally get in front of the audience and then have a conversation with that actor because now it is completely reinforced by that external experience that they're having that this is the right choice this is the right way to go and I'm like yeah there was no way for me to tell you that I could recognize that I would waste my breath trying to tell you that but I made you do it it works and now you know it now you recognize it my work is done I can go home (laughs) there you go Um, it's interesting that you had left um, you said that your last um, it was in 2016 yeah yeah, mm. there's been a lot of a transformation, I want to say, uh, in Bay Area, especially Bay Area theater. You know, we've had uh, Eli Sonny Arquiza, you know, write the uh, living document and he's actually mm-hmm. going to be on. I talked to him um, this week, so I think he'll be our guest the 2nd January. And he's li- got, he directed one of the shows that's up tonight. Exactly. And he's going to be involved in the Laramie Project with Stagebridge. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice! So that's going to be interesting. But in any case, the living, I don't know if you heard about the Living Document, but basically a group of actors and other creators, but mainly actors, have talked about these are the theater companies that we can work with that really treat us with respect, and these are the companies that don't. Uh, these are the companies whose directors, you know, you know, we being part of, you know, the, of, you know, let's say either LGBTQ community or mm-hmm. the black community or, you know, whatever community it is, we want to be represented on stage. We want to be respected. We've had a couple of um, actors come on. We've talked about, I can already, I can say it, the Altarina, where mm-hmm. a couple of actors, black actors, have right. said, hey, I've got issues mm-hmm. working with this company and working with this particular director. And they've shifted. The company has shifted focus. Exactly. They brought on Kimberly Ridgeway. Mm-hmm. They've made a change. But it took, you know... Feedback, yeah. It took that type of feedback. So I guess my question is, um, have you noticed uh, this transition and have you thought of yourself, if you ever get back into directing, or even in the capacity of a teacher, telling you know uh, actors or students, you have autonomy, you know, you're not just a hired gun, but you deserve respect? Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You're saying that makes me think of a newer class I'm teaching. It's created for freshmen, incoming mm-hmm. college freshmen at mm-hmm. the academy. It's called Freshman Symposium Artistic Resilience, Yay. which is really a mm-hmm. class exploring mindfulness and wellness practices. Mm-hmm. And one of the things I've learned in teaching mindfulness, and that's mindfulness practice for me is something that's been important in my life probably for the last five years in particular mm-hmm. is I'm bringing all kinds of practices to them and mm-hmm. you know they they they're in it or they're not in it they right, like right. it or they don't like it they're right. bored or distracted or whatever but it's really taught me to just bring them here's some tools here's some strategies mm-hmm. and let them take it or leave it yeah. yeah, And so I think that came to mind because you're talking about autonomy. 
you know, and I'm, you know, I absolutely believe in the power of meditation and mindfulness practice and gratitude practice. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't, you know, make them wrong. Well, if you if you didn't get anything out of that meditation, you're not doing it right. You right. Know? Yeah. That's, yeah. right. That's so <laughs> not what is works in that class. Right. But uh, it also makes me think about storytelling, which. Uh, to me, what you're talking about is what are the stories that we want to be hearing now? Whose yeah. stories? Mm-hmm. And why Why has it taken so long for there to be room for mm-hmm. other stories and other experiences? Yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm glad that there is a shift to companies recognizing we, we have mm-hmm. to, you know, the, the conversation about diversity has been going on for a long time for or colorblind casting or gender yeah. blind casting. Right. Yeah. But the conversation goes on, but then what do you see actually manifest? Yeah, the results. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah, and exactly. We're, we're seeing results. Like, for example, um, April Deutschley, who's a black woman, excellent actress, um, was cast. I forget what the show was, um, but she had questions about her hair. It's like, hey, I have crinkly hair, and you know, what are you, what are we going to do about it? And it was something the director really just did not want to hear, and says, mm-hmm. well, we'll talk about it later, or you know, that's really not talk to the costumer. Yeah, talk to the costumer. It's mm-hmm. not really relevant. And she felt completely unheard. And mm-hmm. even the production company was like, well, gee, are we really talking about hair? You know, does it really make a difference? You had to go through it with when you did compare to what? I did. Same, exact same thing. Uh, my, my costumer was like, I don't know anything about black hair. And I'm like, do you know anything about French revolutionary hair? What do you do when you're doing a show that's set, you know, when you're doing uh, Les Mis? Do you go, oh, gosh, I just don't know that and you don't do it? No, you study. Yeah. You inform yourself, mm-hmm. and you know, and yeah, they they refused to do it. Fortunately, I had one person on their board who kind of backed me up, and I just refused to back down. I actually talked to another costumer I knew who put me in touch with somebody to help me get the information. I'm like, I'm the director. This is so not my wheelhouse, but um, but I expect it from the producers. I expect that it's not even sensitivity. It's your effing job. Right, exactly. Yeah, inform yourself. Yeah, yeah so and it's, another, it's interesting that and it's another example, we did but... women on the verge of a nervous breakdown, mm-hmm. and there was a woman who was plus size, right. and the costume was like, "Well, geez, you know, I just it's going to be hard to dress you because <laughs> all of the all of our costumes are not your size." And it's like, "Wow, it, that's your job, right?" So yeah, it is your job. Getting back to what you're saying, you know, the mindfulness or whatever. You know, of course, the actor has to c- control themselves and to you know to have that peace within themselves. Mm-hmm. But it's also, if you have, if there's a story that this company wants to do and mm-hmm. they've hired someone to do it, you're not just hiring them to, to fit into, you know, your little story, but, you know, the actor wants to know, okay, so this is my who I am. Mm-hmm. How do I fit into the story? Mm-hmm. And if you don't have those answers, then you're basically just saying, I'm a hired gun. Yeah, you know, my first thought when you brought up this example of the actress not sure what to do about her hair is mm-hmm. I hope I would have said well what what do you think right to mm-hmm. sort of ask right. what the actor knows yeah, yeah, yeah. and maybe then together you can sort of figure it out and then go right a lot do of some insert research or talk to your costumer or, mm-hmm. um, but the show maybe, we did I told the actor they ended up we ended up wigging was what uh-huh, we ended that's up doing. what I anticipated and um, he has beautiful dreadlocks down to here Mm. and there's a way where you can braid them up and then you put the wig over top and and even then the costumer's like i just think it's gonna look weird it'll look like a wedding cake and i'm like "Mm, 
but and then you we don't did have an it alternative. and it looked great. Yeah. So I told the actor at the end of the process, I said, you should, I'm not suggesting you steal this, but you should talk to the company about buying this wig. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You should keep, you should keep this wig. Yeah. But I would think you're that. you're keep running into this. But I would think that there will be a production meeting immediately after you've cast everybody to there talk about these no things, to iron these things out. Yeah, with the they did not do production meetings. And I was shocked. Anticipating what those challenges will be. Mm-hmm. But I think what I'm hearing a little bit is for somebody, I'm assuming that costumers, an experienced person, I think I'll speak for myself when I mm-hmm. come up against where I don't know, mm-hmm. there can be resistance or right. anxiety or whatever. And unfortunately sometimes I think we deal with that by wanting to just brush over or mm-hmm. uh, uh, I don't know what you know yeah well in that situation assert authority mm-hmm. I'm the costumer I'm saying no it's like <laughs> that's not going to work yeah, yeah. And, and the whole point is you have an actor or an actress who's bringing up a point whatever the point is whether it be mm-hmm. costumes or why am I crossing the stage or whatever but they're raising their hands and they're saying hey I have an issue and the issue isn't resolved and I don't feel comfortable with what I'm doing. Will it be resolved? Mm -hmm. And I think the whole idea of the open letters to say, hey, we're listening to you. This is not just about production. This is about you. This is a valid conversation, even if we're uncomfortable with it or unfamiliar with it. I do think the director has to be the bottom line person Mm -hmm. who makes sure that the actor's needs are met. I mean, yeah. maybe it's from being an actor, but they're putting their asses out there. Exactly. You know? And the actors need to feel safe and secure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And if they feel tweaky about set or props or costume yeah. or anything. Or intimacy. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. they they need support to find their way through that. I mean, you've, you've mm-hmm. got to feel secure and confident on stage. You can't yeah. be worrying about any of those aspects right. when you want to be in the moment yeah. and tell the story. And when I've worked with you, I've always felt that you always felt that, that you always checked in with actors. I mean, even when we just did a Fringe Festival, you know, a fun little musical, you know, um, but, you know, you still checked in. <laughs> Actually, I, I want to reverse this interview yeah, and have you talk about being stage manager on that crazy Texas Chainsaw musical because one thing I'll never forget it was at the Phoenix that was our venue and we learned before we'd even really started rehearsing that we couldn't use stage blood and it's the Texas Chainsaw that's right because Linda Ayers Frederick was like hey if I can't clean it up forget about it yeah so then, then we were like oh no what do we do now and we we did some goofy kind of like yeah material Uh I I thought as the director I thought we're just going to have to go totally goofy camp and just make it that way and and it's going that way anyway but also I also remember that our chainsaw broke it was a piece of wood and I guess uh, Alex Alex um, Frankel uh, was being too vigorous, I guess, <laughs> and it fell. But uh, you know, so it got repaired. But no, it was fun. It was fun, and uh, I always I, I had a great deal of respect for you as a director. Oh, thank you. I I really appreciate you saying that because from my point of view, it seemed like it must have been a pretty thankless job being the stage manager on that <laughs> show. Because you know we had so little time, and you're throwing it all together. Yeah. And, and um, we luckily we had incredible like uh, our music director. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cat Downs and uh, yeah, Ricardo cool. Roost who did the choreography mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. yeah, Cat's doing some amazing things now. I think she's in the Midwest. She has band and uh, she's doing oh. all sorts of cool things. And but the also young great, cast. yeah, but great, yeah. Uh, great cast. Nick, Nick Bain, Bain and Alex Frankel, mm-hmm. um, Jamie, Lee Jamie Roberts. Lee Roberts and uh, uh, Carly Pollock. 
Yeah, I remember Carly Pollock. <laughs> and they went on the immediately after that. To, to the, the Willows. Willows yeah. Took oh, nice. that show up. And they got to have blood. They like covered their whole couple of rolls. They just took, I think they had uh, plastic bags covering the seats of that theater. Oh, but yeah. They got to realize that in a way that we weren't able to. Yeah, none of that's cool. funny. I had two quick questions for you, and then we can, uh, you know, because it's 12. Oh, okay. You and I were talking off mic about the new generation and how um, it's getting tough. I've talked about theater companies that are not around anymore, like The Exit's Gone and... Um, um, flight Deck? Yeah, The Flight, thank you. Flight Deck is gone. <laughs> Dragon well, Eggs is gone. Fight. Yeah. Piano Fight. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. I'm getting the sense that younger people... I don't know if it's because of COVID-19 or just not wanting to go into, to I don't know, to venture anymore. Like even regular movie theaters are shutting down. Do you think there's an epidemic of um, just people not wanting to leave the house? Well, I'll just stream it. I'll just you know watch it on my screen, on mm. my phone, or my laptop, or whatever. Do you think that there's a whole generation of folks who are so connected to the internet that we're not connecting to people anymore? Yeah, I mean, I can say because I've taught college-age students for 25 years, and I've witnessed, um, you know, a lot of things that they've been through, but mm-hmm. definitely that attachment to social media. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, I mentioned to you, I, I really do see it as an addiction, and I don't think that's too strong of a word to uh, use. Mm-hmm. And it, especially in the freshman class, you know, are, are my students able to be present for what period of time? Right. The attachment to their phones. And it's... um. It, it, so it comes with all the issues that come with addiction, right? Mm-hmm. But related to the theater, I think it, I think the best way to keep uh, developing theater makers mm-hmm. is to somehow get young people into that experience of making theater, right? Yes, and and getting turned on to that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Um, and also another thing that I think will keep theater going in whatever form is this interest in storytelling. And I mean, I know it's roots are storytelling but I'm talking about this um, uh, like I have a couple friends Dan Klein and Michelle Darby who taught at Stanford for many years Dan mm-hmm. still teaches there and they teach storytelling to mm-hmm. a lot of you know different majors of students and um, just I have friends who are focusing in storytelling but getting people's stories and using storytelling as a venue for that yeah um, you interviewed uh, Cliff Mayot recently did you or is he I don't think are so. you scheduled to interview him no no I've we've been we've anybody. been chasing okay so there's well, Cliff's a, an old friend of mine so yeah the voice of witness and you know that that tradition of storytelling and and especially to make sure we hear those voices that aren't heard mm-hmm. exactly and I do think storytelling I'm, I'm beginning to think <clears throat> Being, you know, involved in Bay Area theater, you know, both off stage and on stage and, and writing that it it's become the venue. It's it's almost it's becoming an it's, it's almost like the campfire or, you know, the, mm-hmm. the that, yeah. you know, the old way of storytelling as if it's, it's this old relic, but it still goes on and it still has some purpose. Mm-hmm. David Bowie, you know, before he died, talked about touching wood. You know, we'll live in a world where the, everything is so electronic mm. and everything is so digital that we'll want to eventually touch something that's real, something authentic, because we'll be so we'll be surrounded by something less and less authentic. Yeah. And I get the feeling that theater, especially we've had a lot of folks doing one person shows. Yes. Mm-hmm. You know, that's almost the, the most basic version of just storytelling, mm-hmm. uh, using the theater that way. Um, it's a way of touching the wood, mm-hmm. I think. 
So staying in the physical world <laughs> and staying present in the physical world would be a good start. Yeah, mm. yeah, exactly. Um, and the last question I have, well, I guess the second to last question, um, the business of being a director, like just marketing yourself. I mean, how it's easy for an actor to just say, hey, I'm going to do an audition or whatever. But how do you um, did you think about that? You know, when you were in directing, how hard was it? I mean, you had Ross Valley players who seemed yeah. to have hired you over and over. But how, how difficult or easy was it to market yourself as a director? Well, I can't honestly say that I ever really did. I mean, I started out working, you know, directing solo actors, doing independent, mm. like new mm-hmm. pieces, directing for playwright festivals and stuff. And it was just kind of by connection, you know, you sort mm-hmm. of get through the people you know. Mm-hmm. And Ross Valley Players, I had a relationship there. So yeah. it's actually a great question for me right now, Reg, because if I do want to get back into it again, I'm going to have to figure that marketing out. Well, Ross Valley's <laughs> still around. Yeah. Haven't they called yes. you? <laughs> yeah, they have actually. Yeah. Um, I, but I'd like to get, you know, I've been in Oakland for 11 years. I'd like oh. to, to be mm-hmm. involved in East Bay. Maybe mm-hmm. not not, right. not do that three-bridge drive, you know. Yeah, that gets tiresome. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it gets tiresome. I don't know if I've ever asked you this, but how do you search for jobs for directing? I mean. I don't know. I haven't. You just you just get phone calls. I occasionally I get phone calls or emails. I occasionally reach out to somebody, um, and most of my energy for the last few years, really directing besides my stuff, is um, is playground. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, it really has been just that. But I'm sure you know. Every now and then, you'll have a playwright or a company say, "Hey, you know, we've got a piece in." Every think. now and then, I'm. Those are you know, and I'm more and more at the place of. How much of a hassle is this going to be? Like the the commute thing is so real. I love uh, Santa Rosa Sixth Street Playhouse. I love their space. I can't imagine working up there without having a really fat contract because and or housing. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. Because if I had to go back and forth, that's just there's no way. Um, yeah, you know. And money wise, I mean, did you uh, did you have any issues out of negotiating anything, or was that even an issue? I mean, Ross Valley Players had the stipend they paid, and that was that. I okay. mean, I've I've always worked otherwise. Gotcha. So I never relied on you know mm-hmm. my theater directing income. <laughs> right. Gotcha, I hear you. you no, know, Elizabeth Carter would be the one to talk to this about because she's now starting to pick up a lot more work nationally, and that's fantastic. And yeah, that, yeah, well, surely. it's a challenge. You got a thirteen-year-old. <laughs> yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. You got a partner that you need to think about. You know. Yeah. So where do you see? Uh, it sounds like you do want to get back into theater. I mean, where do you see yourself in five or ten years as far as? Wanting to get back in, or are you comfortable with where, what you're doing right now? Um, I suppose, you know, I always really loved working on new scripts. Mm-hmm. So if I had the opportunity. Mm-hmm. It's okay. <coughs> and we have water. Mm-hmm. It's okay. Uh, birthdays. Uh, Sam Ritchie is an actor. Um, their partner is uh, Tassi, um, God, I can't even say Tassi's last name, a Filipino um, wonderful talent who I met a long time ago working on Buffalo. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a project now, I guess three years ago, um, it was just a reading of a play based on on uh, Much Ado About Nothing, mm. ironically, and... Um, how the in the folio in the first thing that you read in the play is Inter Leonato character I got to play. Yeah. Inter Leonato, governor of Messina. And Leonato is and his wife, Imogen. Mm. Mm. She never says a word. 
She is never referenced. Nothing ever happens through the whole thing. And the character that this playwright, this modern playwright, created to mm-hmm. try to explain who Imogen was, Sam played this part. So I'd never met Sam before. Sam was just so fun and so amazing. And and then I got involved with uh, Red Ladder, and Sam is involved with Red Ladder. And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, small world. <laughs> it's amazing to me when I've gone all these years, as we were saying earlier, all these decades doing theater, and there's still people that I meet. Uh, Sylvia Crattens is um, playwright. Yep. Oh, did you have a on no, your no, 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 no. Yeah, well, I did, but that's fine. Yeah, okay. uh, from Central Works. Elena Wright, uh, Elena Wright, um, mm-hmm. works at, well, she works all over. Um, wonderful, wonderful talent. Mm-hmm. And um, she just did, um, uh, what am I trying to say? I was just in Livermore last summer. Mm-hmm. With Spark, and they also did a Lauren Gunderson play, Silent Sky. Elena played the lead role in that. She's nice. She's also an amazing teacher. Uh, Claudia Rosa is somebody that I met through Central Works, a fantastic mm-hmm. Latina. We had her on, didn't we? Yeah, probably. That, yes, yes, um, yes. Yeah. She and I, it's weird now to feel like she and I have known each other for a while. It's yeah. Like maybe half of my career in the Bay Area, but yeah, that's a while. Yeah. Um, Davi Cohen is a, was a Bay Area uh, actress mm-hmm. and has now moved back to the East Coast. And last time I looked at their profile, they were like on a goat farm or something. So mm-hmm. I think theater may be in their past. Mm-hmm. Eliza O'Malley um, got to be my voice teacher when I was uh, studying up in Richmond. Um, she uh, has a little opera company, Berkeley Opera Company. Uh, Belinda Taylor is no longer with us, but was the executive director of Theater Bay Area when I got here and is, you know, if you believe in angels, Belinda is one of those angels. She was Mm, just so great at mm. at supporting the community. Rob Feeney is a guy, I was like probably a a junior or senior when I started high school, but he was the tech god in our high school department. We had a pretty great high school theater department, so... um, Recently reconnected with him during the lockdown. We mm-hmm. started having Zoom connections with folks, and some of that has lived on, so we were connected. Brendan Getzel is the, was the musical director for... Um, no, I was going to mess this up. Musical director for uh, SF Shakes when I did As You Like It probably about five years ago now. Mm-hmm. Uh, Kenny Meinholt was with a wonderful little company called Round Belly amazing actor. Um, Melissa Loxon is um, another of the Filipino... It's funny how connected I am to the Filipino community. Yeah. I don't try. I just happen to have friends and then I end up seeing their shows. Melissa is somebody I met through that connection. Armand Dorsey, um, African-American actor who moved down to L.A. and I'm not sure what he's doing anymore, but you always have... You know those actors that just like... You go into an audition and of course they're going to be there. Mm-hmm. Armand was that guy for me. I was like... Dude, just just <laughs> don't show up. Give me a shot. Uh, David Skillman uh, was briefly was the artistic director at the African American Shakespeare Company. Really powerful actor. I don't know that he ever got to do it, but he was working on a Miles Davis uh, bio hmm. okay. script, and I was thinking that was going to be fantastic. Sarah Bettnell is an old Oakland Public Theater person. Mm-hmm. Back when we were at Mills. Um, Mayron Yes, his was. 
I'm probably messing up that last name. Mm-hmm. I got to do, um, back when they were called the Arabian Shakespeare Company, they then became the Perspective Theater. Mm-hmm. And now they are yet another one on that list of no longer existing companies. Oh, but we what a did, shame. Because I remember you did Hamlet there. We did Hamlet. We did Midsummer Night's Dream. She was in Midsummer Night's Dream. Yeah. Kimberly Dooley, people may recognize the name because she is the partner of Patrick Dooley, runs mm-hmm. Shotgun Players. Kimberly has been very active with the Berkeley Playhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's it. I've got one name for next week of somebody who I've never met, but we're connected on Facebook, but I may be working with him in January. So I'll say more about that next week. All Those right. are my birthday kids this week. My list, um, Eric Johnson, we had him on. He has been a part of the, uh, Twilight Zone parody, uh, oh. thing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we had him on, um, if you remember when he did, um, the, we talked about the marriage of Bet and Boo and he was, um, Boo. So uh, his birthday is today. You mentioned uh, Sylvia Cretton's also today. David Moshler, who runs the Awesome Orchestra. Mm. And um, Dave is fantastic. Mm-hmm. And when I did Candide at uh, the Douglas Morrison Theater, uh, he was the uh, musical director there. Uh, let's see. Yesterday's birthday was Elizabeth Curtis. And I've talked about she's a fantastic singer and actress. And we were on stage when we did Civil War Christmas. Um Oh, you must have saved this to me. Well, two days ago, Shay Angelo Aceveda. No, I never the did the one from last week. That was last week. <laughs> yeah, that was last week. Uh, he played our um, Chester Himes. Uh, let's see. Um, and I'm trying to think. Oh, I did have Claudia Rosa on. Um, <laughs> and let's see. I'm trying. I'm looking down my list. Oh, yes. Kara Harold. Uh, Kara Harold was also... A member of the group that did The Marriage of Bet and Boo, a fantastic actress and also a film director. And she's been very, very busy in the film industry, uh, the independent film industry. Her birthday is on Tuesday. Uh, on Wednesday, Cynthia Lagozinski. As a matter of fact, Cynthia Lagozinski, I mentioned last episode, she has her master's in theater. Uh, she did a thesis on Shakespeare and mm-hmm. uh, the use of women in Shakespeare. So um, her birthday is will be Wednesday. Uh, and Salute. Yeah, thank you. Uh, let's see. I'm looking, looking, looking. Heather Daly, that's the sister of Jennifer Daly, who was a longtime stage manager of ours oh. at EastEnders. So mm-hmm. happy birthday, Heather. Uh, Amanda Bailey, uh, she was a director. She directed Tiny Beautiful Things uh, at Plethos. Uh, that was a couple of years ago, and I st- stage managed for her. And I'm trying to look. I think that is it. Um, Chris, are you feeling better now? <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. No, 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 it's fine. It, it happens. And I try to I try to keep the uh, the air, uh, the place insulated. I mean, not insulated, but, you know, the circulation as best as possible. Uh, shows. I've, I'm, my shows this week are the Hitchcock Christmas, which is uh, tonight and tomorrow at 7 o'clock. Uh, there are six uh, plays short plays 10 minute plays based on the Alfred Hitchcock movies translated into Christmas stories it is a bizarre concept it's a lot of fun yeah Um, so that's tonight and tomorrow 7 o'clock at the Potrero stage in San Francisco and then Monday I'm actually going to be directing for um, our regular Monday night playground that'll be at Freight and Salvage in Berkeley at 7 o'clock and I'm doing 
the uh, the theme for the shows are surviving the holidays, so it'll be six pieces mm-hmm. on that. So, and I think ones. Kimberly Ridgway has a piece on that. She does. Yeah, yeah, that's going to be awesome. Yeah, very check out uh, very Hitchcock Christmas. Uh, last shows are tonight and tomorrow. Also, uh, a Christmas Carol that's running until December the twenty fourth. Adam Kuvenieman, who we had on uh, last episode, mm-hmm. he's in the show. So check that out. We have a link for that. We were talking about Ross Valley Players. They're doing It's a Wonderful Life right now. Oh. Uh, their last show is tomorrow. Evan Held, who we both know. Evan! <laughs> Yay! So click on I the link. I just saw him, yeah. Yeah, click on the link to uh, check that out. Uh, Stage Ridge is doing the Laramie Project. That'll be next year. That'll be January the 19th through the 21st. So only three days. Mm-hmm. Eli Sonny Orquiza is directing the show. And I found that out because Radhika Rao told me about it. Basically, I guess Stage Red, there are seniors who work yeah. on yeah. theater pieces. Yeah, no, it's um, it's a wonderful, well, it has been a wonderful company. It has evolved. And so I'm glad that they are bringing in professional folks again because for a minute there, they kind of, Every time people want to tighten their budget, the first thing they do is get rid of the qualified people to be teaching. Mm. Yeah, and that's, that that's not good. So in any case, yeah, Eli Sonokiza, you can't get any better than that mm-hmm. director. So right. the Laramie Project, check that out. Also, um, Radical will be doing will be at Cutting Ball Theater doing Mixed Metaphors. Uh, that'll be February the 2nd through the 18th. Check that out. That'll be a sort of theater where the actors interact with the audience, where they just break the scene talk to the audience, hey, what did you think about that scene? And so it's really, really um, that mm-hmm. type of uh, assertive theater, mm-hmm. um, which will be really, really cool. So there's that. Um, Palo Alto Players is doing Misery, uh, that oh. Stephen King yeah, yeah, yeah. novel that became a movie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Kimberly Ridgway is directing that. So she's she's doing it. She's doing yeah. her thing. Yep. January the 19th through February the 4th. Uh, we talked about a very Hitchcock Christmas, so please check that out at the at um, playground. Mm-hmm. Presidio Theater is doing Sleeping Beauty that runs until December the thirtieth. Echo Yamamoto and Sharon Shaw is in that show. Mm-hmm. Um, Chanticleers is doing The Man Who Saved Christmas. That last show is tomorrow. Uh, Curtis Manning or C.J. Strickland is in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, last show tonight and tomorrow, Home for the Holidays. That's the two-person uh, sort of singing engagement. That's Lamont Rigel and a- Anita Veramontes. Wow. Both of them have been on this show. And so check that out. Also, the last show tomorrow, uh, Stan Jose Stage is doing The Play That Goes Wrong. Uh, Nick Mandrakia is in uh, that. And John Rice Williams is in that. So check that out. And then there are some podcasts. So Deborah Cortez, um, yeah, Deborah Cortez has a new podcast called uh, "Let's Talk About Grief." Mm-hmm. And wow, uh, if if people haven't checked it out, uh, there, she's been on the what episode was she on? Episode ninety eight and two thirty eight of the Yay, mm-hmm. where she talked very candidly about the death of her son, right? Um, which who died tragically, and uh, she's still overcoming well, yeah. dealing with the grief. Yeah. And so she, in in sort of working out her grief, she's started up a podcast mm-hmm. where she talks about how her journey of just dealing with it, and also bringing on guests who have talked about their grief. So check that out. That's on all Apple Podcasts. Nice. Uh, we have Barry Graves, uh, our good friend. Uh, he has the Black Man's Heart. Check that out. Mm-hmm. Mallory Samara, our uh, consulting producer, her day job is KCBS. So check out her podcast that she um, produces, as prescribed, and also it's generational. 
uh, Central Works Club, Central Works is doing a Central Works Script Club. That's a podcast where you can download and read a play script and then listen to an audio interview with the playwright that's delivered semi-annually. Aaron Hinney is the artistic director of the theater Dybbuk in L.A. It's a Jewish theater, uh, and they have a podcast, The Dybbukast. The Dybbukast brings creations and his, their historical context to life, all while revealing their relationships to issues still present today. Uh, and then Bindlestiff has the Fobcast, exploring Philippine-American immigrant stories. Check out the Fobcast. And then there are two other things. Of course, we don't want to forget our sponsor, Charles Blades Barbershops. Hey. Thank you for sponsoring the A. It is located at 182nd Street in downtown Oakland. It's a very cool, relaxing place where you can get a haircut, and also they'll serve you a complimentary drink. They're also selling hair products like hair gels, pomades, shampoos, and conditioners. Check out cbbgroomingproducts.myshopify.com. If you don't want to remember all that, we have a link. Just click onto it, and you'll be there. Thank you, Charles Blades Barbershop, for sponsoring the Yay. And also, we have jerseys. We have black, we have white, we have pinstripes. It's $30. Just uh, DM me, PM me, contact me, and I'll let you know. No butterscotch jerseys? (laughs) Hey, maybe maybe next year. (laughs) Anyway, that is it. Uh, Chris, did you enjoy yourself? I did. Thank you so much. It was really great to get to sit with you and with Norman and hear about what you guys are doing and... No, it's fantastic having you on. And I remember you were you were telling me off mic, I haven't been in, you know, I haven't done this in a while. And I'm like, hey, this is about the history. This is about, mm-hmm. you know, what your experience is. And also, you're still a teacher. So teaching mm-hmm. theater is just, a, is, is, is That's integral where the next part generation is coming from. Of yeah. Theater. Yeah. You know, we hadn't even talked about, you know, like how this generation approaches theater different from, let's say, I don't know, Generation X, Generation Y. Yeah. Maybe yeah. we'll get you back on to talk yeah. about that. Mm. <laughs> so I'm sure there's a lot of differences there. But no, it's great having you on. Thank um, you. We're on all Apple Podcast apps. That's that Purple Podcast app on, uh, Purple app on your iPhone or iPad. So check us out there. We're on Spotify. We're on Overcast. We're on SoundCloud. And we're also on Amazon Podcast. Just click on music.amazon.com and search for The A and you will find us. The A was created by theater people for theater people. If you have a show you want to advertise or if you just want to advertise yourself, let us know. I'm at Reg Space Clay. I'm at Who's Your Hoosier. Chris, do you do social media at all? Can people um, find you? Not that I would mention here, no. <laughs> oh! I mean, you know, my Facebook page. Mm. Oh, there you go. So or LinkedIn. People, LinkedIn. Yeah, LinkedIn. LinkedIn yeah. So if people want to uh, find a fantastic director, try to ease you <laughs> out of, uh, get back out of retirement. Uh, you can't go wrong with Chris Cassell. Oh, thank you. That is it. It's a wonderful sun- Saturday afternoon. It is beautiful. Jake Fawn texted me, so I'm about to meet him in about a <laughs> half oh, nice. hour. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, we'll see what's going on there. Uh, happy holidays, everybody. And as Norman and I always say, we, we got to find, find a better, better sign off. And we are out. Out.